gospel, the 20th chapter. And when you found the 20th chapter, if you would stand in honor of the reading of the word of God today. The 30th verse of the 20th chapter, John captures these words for us. He says, and many other signs, the word signs can also be translated miracles. How many believe that Jesus is a miracle worker? Right, he truly is. He said, many other signs or miracles truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have a life through his name. Now, he clearly says that Jesus did a lot of other things than what the gospel writers were able to collectively put down on paper for us to read. But these are written, the ones that you read through and you glean and you look at closely. These are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now we go to the last two verses of the 21st chapter. It's kind of almost an addendum to what he had previously just stated here at the the conclusion of the previous chapter. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John is in essence saying, you know, as he said earlier, I was an eyewitness. The apostle Peter, remember Peter and John both went to the sepulcher and looked in, and both would later write. Peter would say, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known this to you, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These writings are not coming to us from a second or a third or a fourth generation of people. These are first-hand accounts, men and women that have walked with him and these gospel writers have collected what they saw visibly. So John says, I'm the one that wrote it. I know it to be true. I was there. I walked with him. I talked with him. I touched him. I handled him. When he said, handle me and see, a spirit has not flesh and bone as you see that I have, he touched him felt him. He knew these things to be true. He said, we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. Kind of connecting back to what he had said previously. He said, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now think about what he's saying. The world's a big place. And I know that it is a metaphor, metaphorically that he's speaking here. But he is in essence saying there is so much more that he did during that three and a half year window of time. That if the world, that if they were, if we were to attempt to capture them in paper and pen and, and place them, he said the world would tilt on its axis because of the weight of the volume of books that would be written. So today, in context of what the Apostle John has created for us, I'd like to talk about the miracle ministry of Jesus for a few minutes this morning. The miracle ministry of Jesus. But I'd like to add to that this statement. The twofold purpose of the miracle ministry of Jesus. The twofold purpose of the miracle ministry of Jesus. And let's ask God to make this as fresh and as relevant as if this was the very first time that we ever heard or read these things. Amen? Amen. I believe God can do that, don't you? He can take old things, familiar things, and make them new to us. He can. So let's pray over this word. Father, we set our hearts after you today, God, to receive of what you have taught us, what you have written in the word of God. And Father, today it's with confession that I openly... Admit that, Father, I am in myself incapable, Father, of sharing adequately what needs to be said. If it's not a work of the Spirit, then it will truly be doomed for failure, destined for failure. But, God, if it is a work of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to build faith 
and hope in the hearts and in the lives of the men and women that are here today. As I have prayed, Father God, previously, and now I pray it again publicly, I pray, Father, that if you have awakened my ear as the ear of the learned, as Isaiah said, that you would give me the tongue of the learned, that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. Let preaching come easy in this house today, Father. Whatever barriers might attempt to prohibit the word, Father, we bind those today in the name of Jesus. Father, as chaff, we would move them out of the way. God, and we pray, Lord, that there will be a freedom, there would be, uh, Father God, uh, a liberty to share the word of God this morning, and the hearts of the people would readily receive it. And that's my prayer on their behalf, Father, that the people's heart would be set readily to receive the word of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. A few weeks ago, as I traveled with you through the journey that we took through the book of Hebrews, we learned towards the end of that particular series that the Old Testament writers had written oftentimes picture images of Jesus, though perhaps the author themselves did not know as they were hearing the voice of God and capturing it and placing it on paper for us to read, that they were actually creating for us a picture image of Jesus from the Passover lamb or the turtle dove that would be slain or the various types and shadows that we have seen in the Old Testament. But we also concluded that the writer of Hebrews said this, but we see Jesus, but we see Jesus. And they looked at a shadow, but we can look at the real thing. Amen, we can look at the very real thing. Now you and I love him, though we have never seen him with the natural eye. We feel like we have touched him, though we have never tangibly put our hands upon him. We feel like we have heard his voice, though we have never audibly heard his voice. But we have by the word of God. John would write in the epistle that he would write later, he said, our hands have handled the word of life. This word is a reflection and a revelation of the person of Christ. And as you and I have began to look closer at the, not the shadow, but the very real image itself. Not the shadow this time, but the very real image. Last week we found Jesus coming to us at the baptism of John. John had been baptizing freely for six months. And there was a, a noise throughout the camp of Israel that perhaps he was the Messiah. But he would always attempt to, to distract or detract that type of, you know, uh, accolade by simply saying, I am not the one, but I've been sent as a forerunner for the one. The one that's coming, he said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose the sandals upon his feet. Now, I reminded you that it was a fateful day when John saw Jesus coming down into the waters to be baptized, perhaps standing in line behind any common person that was repenting of their sins according to John's preaching. And when John saw him, he beheld him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He attempted to not baptize him, simply saying that he said, I have need to be baptized of you. Jesus said, Suffer it to be so for all righteousness' sake. When he baptized him in the waters of Jordan, the scripture says that the heavens parted and an audible voice declared for all that could hear, This is my, again what John would write here at the conclusion of, this, of his gospel, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the scripture says that the heavens parted and the Holy Spirit in the bodily form comparable to that of a dove descended from heaven and in King James English lit upon Jesus. And upon coming upon Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus was immediately then led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights facing every temptation known to man, the temptations that you and I face. He was tempted, writer of Hebrews would look back later and say, he was tempted and tried in all points as we are yet without sin. So that you and I could have the confidence 
that if he overcame, we can overcome. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, then that same spirit can empower us to overcome the desires of our flesh and we can overcome sin as well. For 40 days, he faced the temptations of the tempter and ultimately defeating him with the final rebuke of the adversary, resisting him for the two previous at least captured temptations by the gospel writers, but rebuking him and sending him away on the last one. Get thee behind me, Satan. And from there he began his ministry. And he comes first, the scripture says, to Capernaum. Or Capernaum. And there the Bible says... At, Capernaum, nothing happens immediately. An invitation is sent to Jesus. He begins to gather his own disciples. John actually makes that statement again. This is the, the, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And certain fishermen begin to follow him. But there's nothing miraculous at this time. They receive a, a, an invitation to go to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Capernaum is a small uh, portside village around the Sea of Galilee and Cana is just a few miles away. Jesus receives an invitation, his disciples receive an invitation and his mother receives an invitation and they determine to go. And so through the course of the, of the week of the, of the wedding, there's festival, you know, it's a festive time, there's celebration and ultimately as the week's activity draws to a close, Right before the final day of the marriage feast, when there's to be the greatest and, and most important time of, of celebration, they run out of wine. And so when they run out of wine, Mary, Jesus' mother, hears about it. And so she comes to Jesus and she petitions him. And she says, Jesus, they have, they, they have run out of wine. And Jesus' response to her is this, Woman, what have I to do with thee? He said, For my time has not yet come. But Mary is undaunted. How many of you know sometimes you just have to refuse? Come on, you have to just refuse to give up. Mary's undaunted. And so Mary turns to the servants and says, whatever he says to you, whatever he says to you, I want you to do it. And so Jesus then, I don't know about the amount of time and space that passes I don't know what spurred him or why his response changed from his refusal. Woman, what am I to do with you? My time has not yet come. Till he tells the servants, I want you to take those six clay pots and I want you to fill them with water and then I want you to draw out of those clay pots and serve it to the governor as if it is the very best wine that has ever been in, in all of Israel. Now in the natural realm, that seems very foolish. I'm telling you, you have to understand that sometimes in the spirit, God causes us and calls us to do things that are totally contrary to the natural realm. And so they did exactly as Jesus had said, and they draw it out and they give it to the governor. And when the governor takes his very first taste of that wine, he stops the music and the festivities that are taking place. And he draws the groomsmen up in front of him, in front of all the crowd. And he said, you know, typically in any marriage that I've been a part of, he said they will, they will serve the best wine first and then they'll save, the, you know, at the end for that which is lesser at the very end. When everybody's eaten and they're filled and, and all those things. He said, but you have saved the very best wine for last. The Bible then says these words, thus the beginning of the most prolific ministry and revelation of the power of God that the world has ever known. Thus the beginning of his miracles. This was the very first miracle that Jesus performed at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. The supernatural power of Almighty God released through the authoritative voice of Christ when he told the servants to put water in a clay pot, draw it out, and the natural process that would take, that could take years to produce wine would be bypassed by the supernatural power of Almighty God and water would be transformed into wine and served to the people and it would launch forth his glory. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It's a powerful thing. Now, with that said, then the Bible says these words. The Bible then says, well, that he left and went down to Capernaum. 
When we went down to, to Capernaum, the scripture then says that the Sabbath day drew near. When the Sabbath day came, Jesus went to church. And in the midst of the church service, there was an agitation, a stirring amongst the people. And then during the stirring, there was a man there that was possessed by an unclean devil because the light of the power and the brilliancy of God's glory had now penetrated into people's darkness and the devils were being agitated. They could not reside in that place any longer because they can only hide in darkness. And the darkness had now been confronted by the light and the light always drives away darkness. Hallelujah. And so that devil begins to agitate that man and Jesus went to him and treated him with medicine. That, no, he went to him and he signed him up to go to the hospital. He took him for a psychological evaluation or he put him in the back room uh, where he would be hidden from view for the rest of his life. That's not what the Bible says. But the Bible says with an authoritative voice, he commanded the unclean spirit to leave him and the unclean spirit left him. And when he did, the Bible says the people were amazed because they had never seen it done like that before. Because the Bible says that he commanded with authority, with power and authority, even the unclean spirits, and they had to obey him. Church service ended. They went to, back to Peter's house. Peter's house, at least what they believed, the, the, the remnants or the residue of his home is still there on the, on the uh, southern side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and they went back to his house and, and to, to have dinner. And then they discovered that Peter's mother-in-law is sick of a fever. And Jesus goes to her and he rebukes the fever. And the Bible says he raises her up and she gets up and she helps repair lunch and serves the disciples by the power of God. Well, by the time all this has taken place, there's a stirring throughout all of the area. Word is traveling quickly. Something is at work. They heard about the miracle at Cana. Now they've heard about the man possessed by a demon spirit being miraculously delivered. Now the, here's the woman who had been sick with a fever, and now she's up serving everyone. And they begin to bring the sick and the infirmed and the lame and the paralytic and the blind and those possessed by demons spirits at the sun began to set in the evening time and they bring them to Jesus and the Bible says that Jesus heals them all. Hallelujah. How many of you believe today that Jesus Christ is a miracle worker? Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's a miracle worker. And when we read this testimony, later the, his own disciples would, would clarify and would speak concerning him and say, this man Jesus was approved among us by God. He was approved among us by God by many signs and infallible proofs which God did by him in the presence of you all. Miracles and signs that followed the ministry of Jesus. And the apostle John is writing this gospel to us that now is just as rele relevant today as it was as the time that he originally penned it. And he said, these things that he did have been written for you and I so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. There's something about reading about the miracle ministry of Jesus. I'm very thankful today to have a God that has revealed himself to me in the person of Christ that's touched by the feeling of my infirmity, that he's compassionate to my plight, he's compassionate to my situation. As a matter of fact, many of the ministry or miracles that Jesus performed, it was compassion that moved him. There was a time that Jesus was out in the desert places ministering to people and people had been healed of many sicknesses and diseases and they had been with him for three solid days. And there came a time for Jesus to go ahead and relocate his ministry and he would send the people away. But he said, I can't send the people away because they're hungry. They've been with me for three days. They've been fasting. They've not had anything to eat. And if I send them away, they're going to faint in the way. And I'm too compassionate to do so. And I want you, turning to his disciples, I want you to feed them. And they thought, well, where are we going to go and buy bread? We're out here in the middle of nowhere. We can't find enough uh, uh, food to feed this multitude. There's at least 5,000 men. 
plus women and children will never be able to provide the amount of food. He said, just bring me what you've got. So they search amongst the people and all they find is just a little lad that's got a few fishes and a few loaves. And they bring it to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, here's all we've got. And what, but what is it among so many? Have you ever felt that way? What is it among so many? Jesus found it to be sufficient. When their need met the power of his expectation that unlocked the potential that was in heaven, then suddenly when he took those loaves and the fish and he lifted his eyes toward heaven and he thanked God in the presence of all the people and then he broke the bread. I pray today he's breaking bread right now in our hearts and in our spirits. He broke the bread and when he broke the bread, the Bible says that he then said, take it and give it to the people. And basket after basket after basket after basket of fish and bread until every man, woman, boy and girl ate till their fullest and when when everything was completed, they gathered up the fragments that remained and there were 12 basketfuls that remained to allow the disciples to begin their journey because of the power of God. I don't know about you, when I read things like that, that lets me know that God is able to meet my need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That there's nothing that in my life that God's power is not able to reach. The miracle ministry of Jesus. A closer examination of the New Testament Gospels and you will discover that there are 38 miracles that are recorded by the Gospel writers. Apart from the times that the Gospel writers wrote these words, and the multitudes came to him and he healed them all. So think about that. 38 distinct miracles apart from the time that the masses of humanity were so great that the writer said, I can't even spend the time. I can't even discern the individual need. All I know is people came crippled and they left walking. People came blind and they left seeing. People came and they had never heard the voices of their family and their children. And now they're hearing them and they're praising God. Uh, The Bible just tells us that there were times that the power of God was present till he healed every one of them. But I love to follow the accounts in Scripture. I love to just follow Jesus for just a little while and just see his miracle ministry, to see him cast out devils or to come walking on the water in the midnight hour in the midst of the storm. He didn't need a boat. He didn't have to be transported. He didn't have to be let down out of an aircraft. He just came walking on the Sea of Galilee the same way that you and I walk on earth because of the power of God walking and working in his life. Thank God that you and I can look closely at these. They're written so that you and I can read these and we can believe that never a man like that man, never a man spake like that man spake, never a man to do the miracles that that man had done. All the Old Testament of prophets had done some level of miracles, but never a man had come forth out of the bosom of the Father full of grace and truth, breaking the life and the power of God with us. Glory to God. When I just follow his life, what a testimony it is from the raising of the... Jesus was so compassionate. There was a time that he was ministering and his disciples and they were traveling. They had gone through another little remote village, Nain, N-A-I-N. He's just walking through there and they stop because a funeral procession is going past them. This funeral procession, at the tail end of the funeral procession comes a quaint little woman just sobbing bitterly because the dead or the deceased is her child. It's a young man. He's our only son, our only child. And the Bible says that when he saw her, could those same eyes be looking at you today? When he saw her, he had compassion on her and he stopped the procession. Can you imagine what was going on in the hearts of the apostles? When they were with him, they had seen a lot of things up until that time. They had seen all the miracles that you and I just previously talked about, but they had never seen this. And all of a sudden, this procession is going in front of them, and Jesus stops it. And he goes over, and remember the sermon a few weeks ago that if you touched the dead person, you would be ceremoniously unclean. But Jesus didn't care about that. And he went over and he touched that dead man's body, and that dead man 
raised up off. Come on now, off of that board that they were carrying him. And when he did, it was like a bomb went off in that area. There were people that just began to worship God freely and they began to cry out and say, a great prophet has come among us. Well, I want you to know today more than a great prophet. But I'm talking about the Son of Almighty God, Jesus Christ. These things are written that you and I might believe and that through, through believing we might have faith in his name. There are some that I can just have a testimony of that I just like to travel like I was there with him in the crowd. I, many times I love to see Jesus as I, especially one particular one in the instance when he had been over in Gadara casting the devil out of the man that was possessed by the devil's, uh, uh, you know, a legion of devils who would cut himself and be in the tombs and demonic spirits are so abusive and, and the culture in which we live in today invites demonic spirits into their lives not knowing that as they do so they're bringing death and destruction into their lives and this man is isolated from his family tormented by evil spirits cutting himself with stones they put chains on him and he would break them not by the supernatural power of God but by demonic power he was confused and tormented uh, but when Jesus stepped out of the boat the Bible says that when his feet hit the land of the region of Gadara the, the scripture says that he came running and fell down before Jesus and said, what have I to do with you? He said, thou Jesus, son of most high God, why have you come to torment me before the time? And you know the story. Jesus rebuked the devil after finding out that it was a legion and he cast the devil out. And the scripture says that in just a few short minutes, that man went from deranged and a lunatic demon possessed, isolated and ostracized from his community to seating there clothed and in his right mind ready to join and be a part of Jesus's church. I believe in that kind of power, don't you? That in one instant of time, God can change a life that's been tormented by the power of Almighty God. But the people around him in that region were so in, uh, so afraid of the power of God that they didn't want any part of it. Do you know there's a lot of churches like that today that are afraid of the power of God? They're afraid of what might happen, what could happen. We're so, we don't, it's so mysterious to us that we would rather live without it than to press through the darkness and embrace it. Glory to God. And so they said, we're going to ask you to leave. So Jesus gets back in his boat and he goes across the lake and he gets out on the other side and when he gets out on the other side he is met there by a man by the name of Jairus. Now Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He's trained in all the Hebrew law but he's got a need greater than anything in his life right now because this 12 year old little girl is at the point of death and he comes and through the compassion that's in his heart for his own daughter he says Jesus my daughter's at the point of death will you come and heal her and Jesus agrees and says I'll go with you and so they start walking and headed to Jairus's house and as they go the crowds begin to push him and begin to throng him and the multitudes following him and they're making that journey and all of a sudden Jesus stops in the midst of all the activity Jesus stops and he looks around and he says this he said who touched me and Peter looked at him like are you out of your mind Look at the crowd. Everybody's trying to touch you. We're all, he said, we all touch you. See, but there's a difference in just simply touching Jesus to, uh, than actually catching hold of the promises of God. And Jesus said, but no, wait just a minute. I know I've been touched by a lot of people, but what, somebody here has caught hold of the power that's inside of me because I felt it seep out of me as I went down the road. And upon saying that, a little lady comes out of the crowd and she falls down before Jesus, fearing and trembling, and she confesses that, Lord, I have had an issue of blood for 12 years. I've been ostracized from my family, unclean by the Levitical law. I've not been able to have fellowship with my family or my children. I've gone to the doctors to try to get better and rather I grew worse. I used to have a lot of resources and now I'm impoverished but I'd heard about your ministry and I said in my heart, I didn't tell anybody, I didn't call the prayer chain, I didn't ask for a prayer, I just said in my heart, if I can but touch the hem of his garment then I know that I'm going to be made whole and she pressed through the crowd that day. Come on somebody, a lot of hands touched him but one hand caught hold of the divine promises of God and when she caught hold of the divine promises of God the supernatural power of life in Christ emitted out of his body and dried up that issue of blood and she knew it and she testified before God that she was healed glory to God 
See, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. I'm preaching this way because not everybody's going to catch it, but somebody is. Somebody's going to catch it, and when they do, you're going to receive from God in your life today. In the midst of that activity, two men emerge, and they come to Jairus, and they pull him over to the side. They said, Jairus, the hardest words anybody could ever have been given, the responsibility to share with somebody else. It's too late. She's dead. She's passed into eternity. There's no reason... We don't need all this. We don't need Jesus. We don't need his disciples. We don't need all this. She's dead. And when Jesus heard those words, I love this. Read it later. The Gospels are there to build our faith. Jesus turns to Jairus because there's always the voice of the accuser and there can always be the voice of an intercessor and it's the choice upon which one you're going to listen to. The accuser said this. It said, she's dead. Don't trouble the master any farther. But the voice of the intercessor in this instance was Jesus. He said, Jairus, fear not. Believe only, and your daughter will be made whole. Come on, somebody. What about when you've been given a report from the doctor that said you got cancer? Come on, somebody. What, whose report are you going to believe? What about when they said that, that your son's got a tumor? Whose report are you going to believe? Come on, somebody. Are you going to fear and allow fear to grip your heart until faith cannot work? Are you going to reprove it and rebuke it and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm going to stand upon what the Word of God says and trust in the Lord. Jesus said to Jairus, Fear not, believe only, and your daughter will be made whole. Jesus went back to the house, and when he got there, he found that the professional funeral procession had already gathered. There were those that were playing the dirge. There was a mournful cry. Aunt Lucy was there. She was sobbing, and, and, and Uncle Ed was there, and he was crying and sobbing because this was their precious 12-year-old, you know, niece, and, and now they're, they're weeping and sobbing, and Jesus comes in and says, listen, there's no reason for anybody to shed another tear. This daughter's not dead. She's asleep. She's asleep. See, there's no difference to God. That's why at the resurrection, the Bible says we awaken to life. See, death and awakening are the same. The same way you've ever had to go upstairs and shake your child to wake them up in the morning is just as easy to God to wake somebody up out of an eternal sleep. Jesus said, this daughter's not dead. She is asleep, and I'm going to go and wake her up. And then the Bible says that they laughed him to scorn. And I'll tell you what, that agitated Jesus enough that he said, you know what? I'm not playing that game with you. If you want to have unbelief, you have it over there because if you're in this house I only want people to believe and he emptied the house sometimes I would rather walk alone or walk with just one or two other people that I know are joining their hearts with mine in faith than to have a multitude of unbelief all around me I'd rather have one or two that'll yoke their hearts together with mine and say, Pastor, I believe. Glory to God. Jesus went into the room. He brought only Peter, James, and John with him because he wanted to show them how to do it. Glory to God. And he brought with them the mother and the father of the little girl. And he went over to her and he said these words, Talitha Kumai, which is being translated, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jairus and that, his wife that day when they see the lifeless little girl laying there on the cot. Her body is not swelling from breath. There's no warmth. The life has gone out of her. It has evaporated. She is stone cold dead. But when the voice of the beginning begins to call your name, you will respond. And he said, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And she rose up. And when she did, the life of God was released and a miracle of the power of God. Glory to his name. Now, I've said this before, but I know it just does good for me. I can only imagine what church was like next Sabbath day. I can only imagine what it was like that day. You know, they always gave you an opportunity if you were a leader of the synagogue to stand up to speak. Can you imagine what it was like when Jairus took his turn? What was it like? What was it like when he stood behind the podium that day and said... And some people may have opened the book, but he may have closed the book. And say, I got a testimony that I want to tell you about. The one you're looking for is already here. He was at my house two days ago. My daughter was dead. There was no life in her. Come on, we were crying and sobbing. We were preparing for her funeral. 
And this man called Jesus walked into my house. And he, come on, he spoke to her. He spoke through the portals of death and he called her back. And now she is alive with us and she is full of life and vibrancy to the glory of God. Can you imagine what would church be like if men and women came to the house of God with an expectation that what God has done through the course of the week is going to culminate in one climatic moment of celebration of the power of Almighty God because what we saw him do back then, Hebrews 13 and 8 says, he is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he will be the same forever. Glory to God. So if I read about it back then, I read about it so that I know whatever my need is, there's no need too great. Come on. There's no situation too dire. There's no situation in my life too murky that my God can step right down in the middle of and by his divine power I can receive a miracle to his to the glory of his own name it may not be doing anything for you this morning but it stirs my heart when I think about the power of God but I want to share with you a couple of things before I close today. So, Pastor, all you're doing is walking down a testimony trail of the Word. That's exactly right because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I read these, I meditate upon these, and I preach these. Why? So that you in your situation can read, hear, and understand that the power of God is still in the earth today. God's just looking for somebody to believe. Amen. He's just looking for somebody to believe. John said these things are written. Time would fail me to go through all 38 today. Time would fail me to trail through every instance of time where Jesus superseded the laws of nature, confounded the doctors and the lawyers and the Pharisees, and exhibited the power of God. John said these are written that you may believe on Jesus. Does that make sense today? How I many, when you read that, does it cause you to believe in Jesus? Come on, to believe in Jesus. But I'm going to show you something today that's going to be faith on another level. All right, so go with me here for just a moment. See, I believe that not only were those things written so that I would believe on Jesus, I believe the twofold purpose of the miracle ministry of Jesus was so that I could learn to believe like Jesus. To believe like Jesus. Now that's a faith on a different level. Let me give you an example of that if I can. Because there's a passage in scripture that really sets this and begins to set this in motion in the lives of the disciples. Jesus' disciples spent a lot of time passing over the waters of the Galilean Sea. Because he ministered all around the sea and, the, and the, by boat was the quickest means of transportation. And it was often, oftentimes necessary for him to get away from the crowds that were wanting to come to him and make him king. And so he could quickly get in a boat and go to the other side and he could avoid that, that, you know, that confusion that would be created by that particular moment. And so in one particular instant, Jesus and his 12 disciples are in a boat and they're crossing the Galilean Sea. And it was in the night and in the nighttime and then as it did so, the scripture says clearly that a storm of wind, a tempest of wind blows up and they will just come suddenly and those winds are violent. There'll be 30 and 40 and 50 mile per hour, mile per hour winds and the, the waves are crashing into the ship. It's a little ship. It's just enough for the 12 or 13 men that are inside of it. And, and the scriptures then are telling us that, that as they do so, the water begins to come over the edge. So p picture this in your mind. The boisterous wind, the darkened sky, lightning flashing all around you, the howling of the wind, the waves are rising in height until they're crashing not just on the side of the boat but into the boat. They're doing their very best to get the water out of the boat and they're unsuccessful and finally they reach a place uh, uh, where they are frantic and they look back and Jesus uh, is at the rear of the ship and he is asleep on a pillow. He's asleep on a pillow. And they fight against it as long as they can. And finally, they arrive at the place where somebody says, we're going to have to wake him up. And they go back and they wake him up. And they wake him up with, uh, with being frantic in fear. And they said, Jesus, how many of you have prayed a prayer like this? Don't you care? Don't you care? We're about to die here. We're about to perish in this sea if you don't do something. And Jesus rises up. I don't know how long it took him to, to wake up. 
Probably he woke up quicker than my wife Sherry wakes up. That's free for y'all today. It would have taken her a while. She'd have said, I need a cup of coffee first. Jesus rises up. He stands up and he rebukes the storm. And he speaks to the wind. And he speaks to the sea. And he said, peace be. Come on, somebody, still. Now, the reason why I believe there's a twofold purpose to the miracle ministry of Jesus is because if there was just the singular purpose of Jesus' miracle ministry, then what we saw in that particular passage of Scripture, which is captured by three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then we would have the pattern when we're in a desperate situation. We would have the pattern. We would come to him and we would just cry out frantically and hope that we could agitate him till he would wake up. But see, that's not what the Scripture says. Jesus then did not commend them for that level of faith. Rather, he reproved them. And he said, where is your faith? That's faith on another level. He said these words. He said, where is your faith? Why are you faithless? So let me try to spin that around for just a minute. What was he saying when he said, where is your faith? Was he implying that he meant, why aren't you resting with me at the back of the boat because God's got this? Perhaps that's what he meant. Because faith oftentimes gives us different courses of action, correct? Can't always group everything exactly the same way every time because wisdom oftentimes is given to us to do different things. So perhaps he meant, well, why don't you just trust God's going to bring us through it and he's going to give you the strength to keep getting the water out of the boat and you're going to make it through this. Perhaps that's what he meant. Perhaps he meant, man, everybody's got a cloak on you. There's 12 of you. Why don't you shield the boat with the cloaks and keep as much of the water out until we make it through the storm? Or maybe he meant, why doesn't one of you get up at the front of the ship and do what I just did, take the authority and the power and the faith that you have and speak to the storm in your life and demand that the sea calm and the winds abate. And so I believe with all my heart today that the miracles of Jesus that are captured in the Word of God are twofold. Number one, they come to us that when we read them, hear them, listen to them, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It validates who He was. It validates what He did. It validates what He had to say. But I believe also concurrently that the twofold purpose of the miracles of Jesus are so that I can learn to believe not just in Jesus, but I can learn to believe like Jesus. And so in conclusion today, let me give you another example. Toward the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is journeying daily from Bethany to Jerusalem to the activities of the Passover that are at hand. It's a few-mile journey. This day, this one particular day, Jesus is making this journey. He sees a fig tree from afar, and it's got leaves. It seems like it's near spring. He supposed that it's got fruit on it. The Bible says that he saw it from afar. He supposed that it had fruit, and he goes near to partake of the fruit of the fig tree. And when he gets there, the Scripture says it's the time of the figs. It's not yet. And so when he sees the fig tree, there's no fruit on it. Jesus just quickly looks at it and says these words, No man eat fruit of you ever again. And he turns, and he walks away. He goes into the city of Jerusalem. That's the day that he cast out the money changers, and he purges the temple. They go back at night to Bethany, and the next day, they're making their journey back. And as they make their journey back, the Apostle Peter notices when they get near. Now, I'm sure he did a double take. That's the fig tree. And he looks at the fig tree, and the fig tree, the fig tree that the day before was green and lush and budding. Come on, it's spring. It's just about to bud. It's about to bring forth, uh, you know, fruit, and it's dried and withered, dried and withered away. And, and Peter, you know, Peter is kind of, you know, oftentimes energetic and, and, and vocal, and he says, Master, look at that, like, he's gonna, like Jesus would be surprised. Look at that, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And then Jesus captures some words 
the apostles do, Mark does, for us today that we're going to conclude with these words. For he says this, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Does God have a word for you today? He does. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. For whosoever, Mark 11, 22, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the words that he saith shall come to pass, then he shall have whatsoever he saith. And whatsoever things that you desire when you pray, believe that you shall receive them. And guess what? You shall have them. Now, there's a part of our culture today that wants you and I to believe that the miracles of the first century were captured and limited only to the first century, to the generation of Jesus and to his immediate predecessors and that, uh, or successors, and that would be his apostles. And that all miracles cease with the death of the last apostle. But then that doesn't do justice to the text. Because if you'll roll the text back to the 23rd verse for just a moment, there is a word that is placed there that I have to believe was placed there under the full inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that when Jimbo Hannah's son and Leslie's son is diagnosed with a tumor, 2,000 years later, a tumor that needs to be cursed and needs to be cast out and driven away, they can omit their names right there that I, come on, shall say to this mountain, whosoever is exactly what it says, it's whoever. It's not particular to a particular generation. It doesn't belong just to the Jewish people. Then it's you and I at the plight of our life when we've done all we know to do and we need a miracle from God. The Bible says that whosoever can say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but if you believe the things which you say, you shall, come on, it shall come to pass, then what does it say? You shall have. Right there. What is it? You shall have whatsoever you say. 23rd verse. Let's read it in closing. 24th verse. Daryl, join me on the platform. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The miracle ministry of Jesus. The miracle ministry of Jesus. As prolific as it was, remember what he said, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these because I go unto my Father. It is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him unto you. In that day, he said, you'll ask me nothing but ask the Father in my name that your joy may be full. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Hallelujah. The miracle ministry of Jesus Christ is given to whosoever will believe. A man came to Jesus, the last story, a man came to Jesus with his son violently tormented by a devil. And he had taken this boy to Jesus' disciples and this devil was so entrenched in his life that his disciples at their level of expectation could not drive the spirit out. And so Jesus, in a moment of exasperation, and occasionally Jesus gets frustrated, the Bible says in that particular passage that Jesus said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I suffer you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus, and in route, the devil in one final assault to destroy the boy, cast him on the ground and begins to tear him. And Jesus asked the man, beside him and he said how long ago has this thing come upon him he said from a child he said it's tried to destroy him from some I'm telling you the devil is no respecter of persons he is to still kill and to destroy and he said from a child it came upon him and it tries to throw him in the fire tries to drown him in the water and he said this words the father of the man said this or the father of the child said this to Jesus he said if you can do anything will you have compassion on us but listen to what Jesus said. He said these words. He said, If you...
can believe all things are possible to him who will believe. Why are those things written? Why are they written? So that you and I would believe today that there's no situation in our life that can ever be deemed impossible. Some people try to say, Pastor Brown, the type of preaching you're preaching is just creating a false hope. No, it's creating hope. That's what it is. Hope says all things are possible. Right? I would rather live every day of my life with hope right, than to live in a hopeless plight and a condition that I would never get out of. I believe that when Jesus revealed the power of God, it had a twofold purpose. Number one, it was to convince us 38 times a revelation of his divine power at all different types of walks of people that came into his life, from people that were sick and hurting and wounded to those that were crippled and blind and lame to those that were dead or those that were in need and he healed them so that you and I could read and we could believe and we could follow and we could trust in the Lord and we could say Jesus is truly the son of God he's the son of God but I also believe that those words are written so that you and I could read them and we could follow and we could learn to believe like Jesus and when I face a mountain in my life a situation deemed so great that sometimes doctors may not give us much hope. I have a promise from the word of God that I can say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. As long as I don't doubt in my heart, but believe in the words that I say, Jesus said, I shall have whatsoever I say. It's a promise to every one of us. It goes beyond gender. Come on, it goes beyond age. It goes beyond denomination. It belongs exclusively to the children of God. Whosoever will believe can receive of the power of God. So today, let me tell you, if you have a situation in your life today, these things are written so that your faith might leap up inside of you and that you can believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the power that that you read about in the Word of God is still in the church today. And then if we will believe, we can receive. Does that make sense in this house today? Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God. This morning in the name of Jesus, six minutes after 12 o'clock today, we've come in full expectation in the power of God. We've come to believe that God is doing great things in our midst. We've come to believe that the Word is building and creating faith in us today in Jesus' name. Today we have an expectation that God is doing things in our lives. Who here today has a situation that is so great 